Hi, this is Steve Farrar, and I need to give you a little bit of a heads up before we get into the teaching. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 4, and Daniel is giving some startling news to a very proud and arrogant king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Throughout the talk, I'll refer to another king by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus was the king who came in, took down Nebuchadnezzar, and his grandson, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had died, but his grandson had taken over. And that is in Daniel 5. Uh, it would be Cyrus who would take the Jewish people who had been held captive for 70 years back to Jerusalem. Now, here's what's important, because I didn't explain this in the teaching. I was trying to put too much in, and I missed this key point. I mentioned that you find Cyrus at the end of Daniel 5. Now, if you look at the end of Daniel 5, the problem is you don't see Cyrus. It says, and Darius the Mede came in. Who is Darius the Mede? Darius the Mede is a title of honor that was given to five different Persian kings. It's a title sort of like heavyweight champion of the world. If you look back over the last 20, 30, 40 years, different men held that title. They held that name, heavyweight champion of the world. That's the same thing with Darius the Mede. It was a title of honor, and it was Cyrus who held the title when he came in at the end of Daniel chapter 5. You can read more about what he did at the end of Second Chronicles and the beginning of Ezra, but that was important that I, under, that I explained that to you because otherwise I'll be getting a lot of emails. Hope you enjoy the teaching. Our Father, we are thankful that, uh, that you govern the world. We're thankful that you are in charge. We thank you that uh, not only are you sovereign and in control, but we thank you that you are good. I think it's... Uh, Is it 119 of Psalms 68? The Lord is good and does good. And that's true every day. And even when bad things happen, your power and your might, your greatness comes through, even through the worst that happens because you promised your people you'll bring good even out of the worst that occurs. You're just always doing good. Um, we read in your word that uh, it says your throne is in the heavens and your sovereignty rules over all. All. Not some. All. Your absolute control rules over all. And so often to us it seems like things are out of control but they're under control. Uh, our God is in the heavens, Psalm 115. He does whatever he pleases. We don't often understand your ways. They mystify us at times. But the longer we walk with you, the more we read your word, Even when we're mystified, even when we puzzle, when we're puzzled, we, we have learned that we can trust you. It may not make sense now, but it will make sense at some point because you're good. We, we, uh, we, we thank you that you rule the nations. We thank you that you have a plan for the nations. You have a plan for the world. We look back over history and we see your hand. We read scripture and you've got a plan for the future. You have a plan for our individual lives. You have a plan for the lives of our children and our grandchildren and for the children yet to be born. You are faithful. You uh, invite us to call on you for help. Psalm 50 
call on me in the day of trouble. And I will rescue you. And you will honor me. We honor you this evening. We thank you for your goodness. We, uh, we, we find among Christians different perspectives on this election that just came through. Uh, but no matter what our perspective was going into this, coming out of it, we should be thankful people because you were in charge and because you know what is best. Do, do we get all of this? No. But we have a sense that your goodness and grace was at work. And even for those that have trouble with that, may you reveal that to them in the days to come. We are just a bunch of sheep. And the primary characteristic of sheep is stupidity. But you are our God and our shepherd. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture. Our trust is in you and our trust is in you alone. So on this night, we praise you. We thank you. We pray that you'll give us biblical wisdom as we move forward. We pray that we'll be quick to apply the scripture not to the lives of others, but to our own lives. That we will be checking our own hearts to make sure we're following the shepherd fully and not half-heartedly. Help us to guard our hearts. There are many temptations. Deliver us from evil. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, we are going to be in uh, the book of Daniel, and <clears throat> we're doing this series, Godly, this series, Godly and Gutsy. Um, we're, we're going to look at Daniel tonight. Daniel, uh, the, the whole book of Daniel is, is a remarkable book because it shows how to be uh, it, it shows how to be godly. It shows how to live for the Lord when a culture is against the Lord. Um, Daniel was taken into captivity into Babylon with his three friends somewhere around the age of 14, 15, or 16. Um, he was there his whole life, never was restored back to his own homeland. Um, he lost his nation, he lost his freedom, he lost his land, he lost everything. The worst happened. Uh, he was taken into captivity, and the hand of God was all over him. And from day one, he was gutsy. Uh, the, t the term gutsy in the dictionary means to be marked by courage and determination. Um, no one more gutsy in Scripture than Daniel and his three friends. It's amazing to me how relevant the scripture is. The uh, philosopher Hegel once said, history teaches us that men never learn from history. Someone has said that a, a historian is a prophet in reverse. If you want to know what's going to happen in the future, you look to the past. You look to scripture. Um, So here we are, and we just came through an election yesterday that I had two friends text me this morning. One guy here in Texas, another guy in another state, within five minutes of each other, and they both said, basically, I'm sitting here in my chair, not moving, trying to absorb this. Uh, it's stunning. It's shocking. And, and 
And I read it sitting in my chair, <laughs> trying to absorb it, and yeah, uh, grateful for grateful for the goodness of God. Um, you know, um, th- this was interesting. This election, because, and we've talked about this before in here. I have not seen Christians so divided. And uh, even, this is Wednesday, Tuesday was yesterday, there's a profound statement. Uh, It must have been Monday that uh, someone texted me, actually called me and said, you know, I watched Tommy Nelson's video, I watched, by the way, which I think was mentioned on Fox News tonight, Two guys told me that on the way as I came in here, and they were talking about the influence that that video got two hundred seventy-five thousand views um, um, before the election. It was in two formats, but um, I think God really used Tommy, and uh, thank the Lord for his courage and his uh, gutsiness, but. Christians were divided, and uh, people really loved the Lord. And I had this guy call me on Monday, and he said, I watched that, and it was very persuasive, but then I read this blog and then this, and I just absolutely don't know what to do when I walk in there. Uh, he said, I, I, I feel like I have to vote my conscience. I said, you have to vote your conscience. Uh, Scripture says, if you, whatever is not of faith is sin, you you can't do what's wrong in your heart. Uh, But interestingly enough, the Lord was working in in the lives and hearts of people who love him. I mean, I knew people would say, there's no way. I I saw evangelical leaders say, there's no way I'm pulling a, a vote for either one of those two candidates. And then others, well... I will vote for this one, but there's, because there's no way I'll vote for this one. But in actuality, if you're really looking at it from a biblical perspective, there's more evil here than there was there. And it was just, you know, so we got and guys in here who did different things. But God oversees it all. He oversees it all. I was... Uh, I was uh, thinking this morning of, uh, I have a friend, and I really respect his walk with the Lord. I, I, I have a great respect for his, uh, the way he lives his life, his, his love of the Scripture, his, uh, this, this guy, this, this guy's a stud for the Lord. He, he just, he lives it out. And uh, I've seen him make tough decisions in his business and with his family. I, I admire him. He is very careful. He's, he's a gentleman. He is in the scriptures. He's balanced. He's not impetuous. He's not impulsive. He is measured. He's cautious. He's wise. He's discerning. I say all that to say this. He looked me in the eye about a year ago, and with everything in his heart, he said to me, um, He basically said, I am praying that God will do to Donald Trump what he did to Nebuchadnezzar. And what he meant by that is Daniel 4. He was praying that God would give him the mind of an animal. And it kind of shocked me. Because this is not the kind of guy who runs around making statements like that. But his repulsion was so great and so deep that uh, he made that statement, and he meant it. He meant it. (laughs) And uh, what caused me to think about that is that he was one of the guys who texted me this morning and said, God has delivered us from a great evil, and he was praising God. His perspective had changed. Now, I'm not saying, all I'm saying is... uh, 
You know, when these things happen, we just have to stay in the Scripture. And we just have to keep seeking the Lord. Uh, the guy I talked with on Monday said, I'm not even sure what, I do, what I'm going to do when I walk into that booth. I said, well, that's fine. Just walk into the booth. He said, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I said, Jesus said it shall be given to you in that hour which you should speak. Now, he said that to the disciples when you're pulled up before the, sand, before the council. But the same thing is true. You may not know till you walk in there, but when you walk in there, when you need it from him, he'll give it to you. That's what he does. So Christians did that. And um, you know what? God oversees it all. The whole thing on these elections, you walk in, you vote or you don't vote or whatever you feel like you ought to do, and God's already determined the outcome. Now, that gives me a lot of uh, hope. It should give you hope that God is running the show and God is calling the shots. Well, then don't we have a will and don't we? Uh, yeah, we have a will. Well, if, if I had a guy ask me today, he said, wait a minute, you got the sovereignty of God and his will and he oversees everything. And so then what about our will? I said, well, you have a will. I have a will. And we're supposed to uh, use our will. We're supposed to use wisdom. We're supposed to teach our kids to use wisdom because we're responsible for our decisions. Our will counts. Our will is important. Our choices are important. But God doesn't let our wills determine what he has determined for the world is best. You don't let your four-year-old decide with his will what you're going to do with your family. And he doesn't let his four-year-olds determine. Four-year-olds have a will and they're responsible. We have wills and we're responsible. But God's will oversees everyone's will, and he's taking us somewhere. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I want to go to Daniel 4. The reason why I want to go to Daniel 4 is that... The, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, going to, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, 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 had, I was not sure what I was going to teach today, e even until this morning. I had three different possibilities, but based on what was going to happen out of this election, I, I, I was going to go one of three ways. So what I'm going to do tonight was not even on my mind until last night. So this is not the most clear point-by-point -point exposition. We're just going to kind of talk through Daniel 4. That's what we're going to do tonight, um, because it applies. Now, I should say something about the book of Daniel. The, the book of Daniel is about what happens when the worst happens in a nation. Daniel lost his nation. He lost his land. He lost his freedom. They were taken into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, who was a uh, ruthless, godless, powerful, uh, brilliant king. Uh, he, Nebuchadnezzar was brilliant. He, he, you know, some guys are visionaries, but they don't know how to implement their vision. He was, he was a visionary, and he knew how to implement. He knew how to, he knew how to build. He knew how to build a kingdom. He knew how to build an army. He, if you read Charles Dyer's books, um, he, he talks about Saddam Hussein and what Saddam Hussein was trying to do. Um, Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. That was his life's goal and motivation. He wanted to become the Nebuchadnezzar of our day and age. Nebuchadnezzar was a brilliant king, ruthless, godless, immoral. Now, this was the king that Daniel was under. Uh, the book of Daniel, so they lost everything. They go into this godless nation, under these godless kings, and Mark Deaver says this about the book of Daniel. He says, the question in the book of Daniel through the whole book is, will I, will I survive? Because when the worst happens, that's your question. Will I survive? Um, how will I survive this? The book of Daniel is all about kings, the most powerful kings in the world, the whole book. It starts with Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, then it goes to his grandson who took over from him. Uh, and then it goes to um, Cyrus, because you see, those people were going to be in there for 70 years, and they were going to go home. Let's go to Isaiah 44. 
So why are we going to Isaiah 44? Because we're going to talk about Cyrus, because Cyrus comes in at the end of Daniel 5. Because you see, God is sovereign over kings. God is sovereign over nations. As you're going to uh, Isaiah 44, we're going to tie this all in together in Daniel 4. But, but as you're going to Isaiah uh, 44, let me, give you, uh, let me give you five principles on kings, just kings in general, okay? Number one, you can trust God with your future under any king. Any king. Number two. You can trust God with your future when he changes the kings. Number three. You can trust God with your future because he owns kings. He raises up kings and he sets them down. That's Daniel 2. Isaiah 40. He blows on, he raises them up and he sets them down, he blows on them and they wither. Number four, you can trust God with your future because every king has an expiration date. He puts them in office and then he takes them out of office. And when they go in, they got an expiration date stamped right on their uh, uh, flank. You know, you can turn a jar over and you can see the expiration date. I, I, I looked at a can of Wolf's Chili with beans yesterday. And I thought, you know, I think this has been in here a while. I flipped it over and uh, green stuff seeped out. <laughs> and then I looked at the expiration date and yeah, it had expired months ago. Same thing with Kings. Uh, number five, you can trust God with your future because the Lord Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. Uh, look at Isaiah 44. Uh, in Isaiah 44, the people are, um, Jerusalem's been destroyed. Judah has been, it's in ruins. The people are going to be in captivity um, look at uh, Isaiah 44, 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you in the womb, I, the Lord, and the Maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. Um, 26, confer confirming the word of his servant and performing the purpose of his messengers. In other words, the prophets are going to tell you what's going to happen, and I'm going to make sure it happens. Look at the next line of 26. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. Well, under the exile, when Daniel and the boys were in Babylon, it wasn't inhabited, it was empty. And of the cities of Judah, they shall be built. Yeah, but they've been destroyed. Watch this. And I will raise up her ruins again. I'm going to rebuild. You're going back, and I'm going to rebuild it. Now watch this. 28, it is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Cyrus was a king of Persia. It is I who says of pirate, uh, Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And he will perform all my desire, Cyrus will. And he will declare of Jerusalem that she will be built. He'll want to rebuild it. And of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Cyrus is going to do that. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, 45.1. His anointed. Now, that's really interesting because Cyrus was not a believer in Yahweh. He was a reprobate, immoral king of Persia. All right? Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, my anointed. I've picked you out. 45.1. Whom I have taken by the right hand. I've taken this king like you take a little boy by the right hand, and I'm going to steer this guy, and I'm going to use him for my purposes. Isaiah 45.1. Uh, what am I going to do with him? To subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. They had the gates of um, uh, Babylon shut tight, 
And his guys engineered, redirected the Euphrates River and went in under a, a riverbed and got in under the walls because it was impossible to go over the walls. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth, speaking to Cyrus. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth, hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, Cyrus, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name for the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, his people. Watch this. I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Beside me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. Twice he says, you don't know me. You're not in a relationship with me. But you are my anointed and I have chosen you. Then men may know from rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And you say, well, the Lord would never cause calamity. He just said he doesn't. He took the nation who, would di who were disobedient for hundreds of years and they wouldn't listen to the prophets, so he brought about calamity. You're going in to be disciplined. You see? Amos, I think it's Amos 3.6. Can a calamity come upon a city unless the Lord sends it? God is in charge of everything. Well, well calamities, people get hurt in calamities. People get hurt every day. People die every day. God runs the whole world. God runs weather. God runs tornadoes. God runs earthquakes. Well, people get killed in that stuff. Yeah, they do. Well, I'm not sure I believe this. Believe it, it's what he says. Well, people got hurt in Katrina. People got saved in Katrina. See, this is what we forget. Sometimes it's got to be a disaster before you'll call on the name of the Lord. Is that not true? That's how a lot of us became Christians. A calamity came into our lives, either through our own foolishness or stupidity. We screwed up our own lives trying to live by ourselves, and we brought our own calamity. Or some calamity comes out of nowhere, and you get blindsided, and it shakes you to the core, and you call out on Jesus to save you. And it saves your life. And God brings good out of the calamity. See, that's the thing about God. When bad happens to his people, he brings good. You can trust him. What's interesting about this stuff he's saying to Cyrus, this is kind of interesting, this was written 150 years before Cyrus was born. <laughs> I love that. Now, now, here's the deal. So you have what you call liberal theologians. And so you read some of these scholars and they'll say, well, you see, there were actually two Isaiahs. Oh, really? I, I didn't read that anywhere in the text. Oh, no, there were two. And then some guys, you know, well, actually, there were three. And then some, why? Well, why would you say there were two Isaiahs? Well, because there's no way in the world that he could have said that 150 years before it happened and it came true. So you see, there was a second Isaiah who came along after the fact, and he wrote this down. Ah, you don't believe God. That's what this comes down to. So Cyrus is in the book of Daniel. He comes in at the end of Daniel 5. He's the guy who comes in, and the guy in Daniel 5, the young immature grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, there was no way he was letting those people out. So what happens? Well, they come in under the wall. They kill him that night. And Cyrus, who has been... And by the way, uh, Flavius Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that when um, Cyrus came in, the leaders read him the book of Isaiah and showed him that he was in the Word of God. And he did everything it said. Okay. Now let's go to Daniel 4. Here's the point. The kings, they call kings sovereign. And throughout the book of Daniel, you got all the, the, the most powerful men on the face of the earth at that time. And remember, back then, kings were kings. I mean, kings had power. You remember Esther? She couldn't go in unless the king summoned her because if she went in and he didn't like it, 
and interrupted, she, he could kill her. The kings were law. They made law. So the kings were absolute in absolute control and had absolute power. But the message of Daniel all the way through is that God is sovereign over sovereigns. He runs them, he owns them, he controls them, he puts them in power, he takes them down. Okay. So Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar is, is in the early chapters of Daniel. And uh, we, he, we're met, you see him in Daniel 2, and in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And, uh, you know, he always had his, his soothsayers and his counselors and advisors. He has this dream that just rocks him, troubles him deep in his heart. And he's so stunned by the dream in Daniel 2 that he says to his guys, and you can read it for yourself, he says, listen, I usually tell you the dream, and uh, you guys get together and write a position paper and come up with something, and then you tell me here's what it means. I, I'm not messing around with you guys. I'm sick and tired of paying you. Uh, if you're so smart, you tell me what I dreamt. And, and they got loose in their hips and in their loins because they said, there's not a man on the earth who can do this, O king. Actually, there was a man. His name was Daniel and his buddies. So Daniel finds out about it. And Daniel, and he says, if you guys don't tell me what I dreamt, I'm going to take your heads off. And he would have done it. That would have been Daniel and his friends. So Daniel and his friends asked for permission Give, me, give us some time, let us seek the Lord. So the Lord reveals to Daniel, here's what the guy dreamt. In Thanksgiving, God, uh, Daniel says in 2.19, then mystery was revealed to Daniel in the night vision. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. Watch this. It is he who changes the times and the seasons. Uh, there was a change last night. He, ch he, he changed it. There was a change eight years ago. He changed it. Any change comes from the Lord. He's behind it. He runs history. Look at the next line. He removes kings and establishes kings. So as believers, you know, you and your friend, you both love the Lord and you follow the scriptures and your conscience, one man can eat meat offered to idols and the other guy can't. I can vote for this one, but I can't vote for this one. Fine, let each man be fully convinced in his mind. That's Romans 13. You go in and vote, or you don't vote, or whatever you decide to do, and God's sovereign over it all, because God's already ordained who's getting in before the foundations of the world. It was already set. Four years from now, it's set. Eight years from now, it's set. It's all set. Okay. What happens is that uh, God gives uh, Daniel the interpretation, and Daniel goes in and tells him, well, here's your interpretation. And basically, what happens... Uh, is that Daniel interprets the dream that he had, and when you get into Daniel 2.36, it's all about kings. You guys still with me? It's all about politics. It's all about the nations. So this dream, and I'm not going to take the time to go into the details of the dream, but he saw this statue, and now Daniel's going to tell him, all right, here's what it means. So in 36, he says, this was the dream, and I will tell you the interpretation. You, O king, basically... You're the first guy in the dream. Your kingdom is the first kingdom. But then in 39, after you, there will arise another kingdom in fury to you. Then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over the all of the earth without going into it. After you're done, after your country is done, and I put you down, then I'm going to bring in the Medes and the Persians and Cyrus. And then when he's done, I'm going to bring in Alexander the Great. And I don't have time to, t to, to show that to you. And then after you're done in 40, there's going to be the Roman Empire. And that's 40 to 43. But in the middle of the Roman Empire, I'm going to bring another king, 44. In the days of those kings, or the Caesars, we looked at them a couple weeks ago or last week. In the days of those Caesars, the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. That's the Lord Jesus Christ being born of a virgin in Bethlehem. You see, this is all about kings. <laughs> and then you get into Daniel 3 and Daniel, and, and, and then Nebuchadnezzar builds this image. And if you don't bow down and worship, I'm going to, 
you know, we're going to put you in the fire and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You, you know, we're not bound down. We, we obey the laws of the land, but when you tell us to disobey the God of the Bible, we don't have to give you an answer, O king. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Throw him into the fire, and, you know, he's watching him, and he starts, he's looking, he goes, did we not put three guys in there? Yeah, I see a fourth one, and it says, oh, he's the son of God. He was the son of God. Because Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. Now we get into Daniel 4. I love this stuff. Don't you? This is all about kings. This is all about politics. <laughs> and now this is Nebuchadnezzar, because Nebuchadnezzar had learned some things. Remember, this guy was immoral. He was godless. I, I mean, these guys had harems. They, were, they didn't have... They couldn't go online and look at porn, so they had all these concubines and all these chicks, and they had all that. They did whatever they wanted to. Okay. By the way, before we look at Daniel 4, and I'm going to get there. Go over. Uh, so here's, here's something. So last night, no, this morning. Two friends texted me, and man, I'm stunned. This is astonishing. This is incredible. Sit in my chair. Hardly can get, I'm just trying to assimilate this. Yeah. And one guy said, so we need to pray what the Lord's going to have us do next. Yeah. Then the other guy texted me within five minutes. So we need to pray. He basically said the exact same thing. And that's right. We need to pray. What do we do now? What do we do now? Go to 1 Timothy 2. Just real quick. First Timothy 2. First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We, I think we have a sense that we may have a shot at leading, continuing to lead a quiet life because of what God has done. Now, nothing's guaranteed, but... That's our prayer. It's a good prayer. You can pray this. Pray scripture to the Lord for your kids and grandkids and for yourself. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Watch this. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That included Nebuchadnezzar. Now go back to Daniel 4. This guy is an unbeliever. This guy is arrogant. This guy is rude. This guy is puffed up with his own greatness. And if you doubt that... Let's read what Nebuchadnezzar said. You remember in the old days, at least I remember as a kid, every once in a while in the, in, on a Sunday night service, we'd have a testimony service. Who wants, to, who wants to testify to the goodness of God? And somebody would get up, I, I praise God for this and this. I pray. That's what you got in Daniel 4. It's Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all peoples, to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, because he ran them all. May your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. <laughs> These kings are all high. This guy was high. Don't ever forget that he is Most High. Amen. He runs them. He owns them. He controls them. You should know Proverbs 21.1 by heart because it's better than Advil. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. He runs them. He owns them. I've said it before. God runs kings, human leaders, like Buffalo Bob ran Howdy Doody. And if you're a young guy, go Google Howdy Doody. Howdy Doody was a puppet. But Buffalo Bob was behind the curtain pulling the strings. You know, in the book of Esther, you got a powerful king and you got a powerful bureaucrat who hates the Jews. His name is Haman. He's conspiring. Now, Esther is a Jew. S. Her uncle is Mordecai because her parents died. He'd adopted her. They're in exile under a godless king. Through God's providence, she winds up being the queen. Mordecai says, don't reveal that you're a Jewess. 
Mordecai will not bow before Haman, and Haman hates his guts. And Haman says, not only am I going to destroy him, I'm going to destroy his people. By the way, the, the name God is never in, can not be found in the book of Esther. You can't find the name of God in Esther, but the fingerprints of God are all over the book of Esther. Because the invisible hand controls all human events in all nations, in all times, in all history. <laughs> Read Esther. And he comes up with this plot to destroy the Jews. And he builds this gallows to hang Mordecai. And early on in the book, Mordecai had heard about a plot to kill the king, and he alerted the authorities, and they saved the life of the king, and they wrote it down in the book. After, Mordecai, after Haman decided to kill uh, Mordecai and all the Jews, that night, the king can't sleep. You know why he couldn't sleep? God wouldn't let him sleep. He wakes up. He says, bring me the book. Bring, bring me the, you know, there's no TV. There's no cable. There's, I mean, you know, what the heck? There's no Tom Clancy. I mean, what's he going to do? Bring me the records. He's flipping through. He's flipping through. And he sees that this guy, Mordecai, saved his life. And he revealed, he goes, I didn't know this. Early morning, Haman shows up early to work because he's got no life. He shows up early, he walks in, and the king says, hey, uh, Haman, what, what should I do for someone I really wanted to honor? I wanted to honor, they had done service to me, and I want to honor them above everything. Man, you ought to get a horse, you ought to put him on a horse, you ought to have him led through the streets, and people pay homage, and he said, yeah, you go do that for Mordecai. God's most high. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, his dominions from generation to generation. This was a guy who didn't believe that before. But he had had something happen. And he had run into this guy named Daniel, who was gutsy. Now, see, these other guys told the king what he wanted to hear. But a man of God tells the truth no matter what it cost. You need discernment, you need discretion on what to say and when to say it. But when push comes to shove, you tell the truth and you tell the truth to anybody. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Now, here's the thing. Babylon, his palace and his grounds, he had the seven hanging gardens of Babylon, which were one of the seven wonders of the world. I mean, Babylon was a phenomenal city. Phenomenal. I, I, and I didn't even bring the stuff to read to you. I don't have time. But it was the ultimate. Okay? I was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders. To, this was another vision. I gave orders to bring into my presence the wise men of Babylon that they may know, make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the conjurers and the Chaldeans and the diviners came in and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Ah, but finally Daniel came in, whose name is Belteshazzar according to the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because he had elevated Daniel to the head guy. He was over all these guys. Belteshazzar, Daniel, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the vision of my dreams which I have seen along with his interpretation. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking and behold there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. Watch the description of this tree. The, tree. the tree grew large and became strong. Its height reached to the sky. It was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and it and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt with its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. Quite a tree. 
And I was looking in the visions of my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven, and he shouted and spoke out as follow. Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, scatter its fruit, let the beast flee from under it, let the birds from its branches. Leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and he bestows it on whom he wishes. God is sovereign over human sovereigns. That's the message of Daniel. This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Daniel, tell me its interpretation inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now watch the gutsiness of Daniel. Okay, you guys still with me? Okay. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, Daniel, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, my lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree which you saw, which became large, its foliage was beautiful, etc., etc., 22, that's you, O king. You're king over all the earth. That tree is you. For you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. In that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one descending from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree, go down the 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, you that you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field and you will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time, seven years will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whoever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules." Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. In other words, king, repent and turn to the living God who you know is there. You've seen. That took guts because Nebuchadnezzar could have gotten hacked off and said, you're dead. But Daniel had the guts to tell the truth. Preachers need to have the guts to tell the truth. Amen. You need to have guts to tell the truth. Amen. Now, you need discernment, and you don't walk around all the time with a Bible at work. And, and you, know, yeah, you need discernment. You need wisdom. You know what to say, you know when not to say it. We'll say, how do I know that? Because you ask God for wisdom. And he'll show you. There's a time to speak, and there's a time to shut up. You go to work, you're supposed to work. You're not supposed to preach. But you see, if you're following Christ and you do your work heartily, not as unto men, but as unto Christ, for it's the Lord Christ whom you serve, which is Colossians 3, there is an aroma of Christ that comes out of your life. And to some, and it's aroma which is an aroma to life, and to others, it's an aroma to death. They'll hate you. Doesn't matter. You're following Christ. Okay. 28. All this happened in Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. It's sort of like he's in the middle of Manhattan, walking around, just checking everything out. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself has built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? I mean, he probably had his name on the buildings. I mean, this guy was arrogant. He was a great builder. And if you ask him, he'd tell you what he had done. He'd, great, he'd built great businesses. He'd, he'd built great buildings and great this and that, you know. All had his name on it. I mean, the towels had his name on it. 
This guy was arrogant. This guy was not a baby Christian. This guy was arrogant. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, it is he who gives you the power to make wealth. Whatever you have had in your career, have you done well for yourself? Well, I've worked hard. Well, I know a lot of guys who worked hard and they don't have a dime. If you've worked hard and you've got wealth, it is he who gave you the power to make wealth and who sent the wealth to you. 1 Corinthians 4.7, and what do you have that you have not received? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Whatever you have has come from his hand. So you don't take credit for it. You give him glory. You give him honor. You don't walk around like you're a wide receiver who dropped the last six passes. But this one happened to lodge in your face mask and you were standing across the goal line and you're... You get in this picture? Twelve months later, he's walking. So in other words, he was told the truth, and he didn't respond. He didn't repent. Is this not Babylon the Great, which I have myself built as royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You will be in grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over to you, will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whoever he wishes. And God can bestow high places on whoever he wishes, even those who don't know him, and even those who are reprobates, and even those who in your mind are reprehensible. And God said to Cyrus, you're my anointed because I'm going to use you. You say, I don't like that. Yeah, he didn't ask you, did he? <laughs> he didn't ask me. He never asked us. He just uh, Isaiah 55, 8. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. <laughs> we, in our heads, we got to all figure out how God ought to do this thing. I, I mean, I mean, if you just want to talk politics, I mean, we're Americans, we live here. Recent history, you had a lineup. You had a pretty strong lineup. You had a pretty strong bench on the Republican side. And you probably had your guy, and you 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 had your guy, and God says, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. What the heck? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. God rarely does it the way we think he ought to do it. But he can use even the ungodly for his purposes. Proverbs 16, 3. He has created all things, even the wicked, for the day of evil. God's never the author of evil, but he uses evil. Okay. So the sentence has been passed. 33. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from mankind, began eating grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So you're driving in from Salina into downtown Dallas, and you're going by the fields, and you see the king out there grazing with the Angus. Hey, king, how you doing? Honk, honk, good to see you. And he's just, he has no clue. He's just eating, and he's pooping. That's all he does. Greatest man on the face of the earth. Thirty-four, but at the, and this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony on Sunday night church, okay? But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me. Why? 
because God gave it back to him. Notice this. God took his reason away, and after the season that God had ordained, God gave it back because God controls every human heart. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. That goes for everybody. Why did Hitler, when he had a clear path across the English Channel to a defenseless England, and his generals said, go, what is it, 22 miles, and you've got them? Why did his heart turn to Russia? Oh, no, let's go in. It's winter in Moscow. <laughs> let's take all of our guys and go freeze to death and starve to death, and let's absolutely decimate my innocent young boys who don't even want to be with me and my Gestapo who are reprobates anyway. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. You ever read about the Spanish Armada coming to a defenseless England, most powerful navy in the world from Spain, and they're coming up, and England is utterly defenseless, and then God blows in this storm. And the Spanish Armada was destroyed. <laughs> and they actually stamped coins in memorial to what God had done. And all it said was, and the winds blew. God sent the winds. I am the God who causes well-being and calamity. At the end of that period, my eyes, I raised my eyes towards heaven. My reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and prayed. Now watch this. Watch this. This guy gets saved. This guy gets converted. Because did we not read that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to, re, to what? Repentance. This guy's going to repent. You never know what God's going to do. He takes ungodly reprobates, and that's what you were. That's what I was. Oh, but I wasn't a bad king. I was, no, but you were just, your heart, you had the potential to do what these guys did. We all do. The heart is desperately sick and wicked. Who can know it? Can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can the leopard change the color of his spots? Then you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. We are born evil. We're all Charles Mansons. Except for the restraint of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This guy gets converted. This guy gets saved. This reprobate. We don't ever see that Cyrus got saved, but God still used him. Okay? Watch this. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. He's not bitter. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's blessing his name. He's praising his name. He's giving him glory and honor. For his dominion, <laughs> this is what you call learning the lesson. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Not mine, not mine. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And every other king in this book might endure 40 years or 50 years, and then it... But he endures forever. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, including the king's. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can ward off his hand. No one. No one. Or say to him, what have you done? He's not casting aspersion on you. How could you turn me into the mind of an animal? He's not doing that. He's saying, thank you. It was good for me that I was afflicted, David said. At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So that takes me back to 1 
Timothy 2. So here we are, a, an amazing result to an election, an amazing result, and now what do we do? We're kind of in shock and awe and amazed, and so what do we do? Uh, what's 1 Timothy 2 again say? I think it's worth looking at again. What does it say? I mean, first of all, oh, first of all, now what do we do now? First of all, here's what we do, okay? On your way home, here's what you do. And in the morning when you get up, here's what you do. First of all, I urge in entreaties and praise. You pray. Petitions and thanksgiving be made. I hope you were thank thanking this morning. And if you weren't, you need to start. Even if the one you wanted didn't get in, you need to thank God because his wisdom is better than yours. And you need to submit to Isaiah 55, 8, that his ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. Okay? Prayers and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and charity. So, here, here's what I take from this. Daniel had the guts to tell the truth. We need to have the guts to be godly men in this situation as we move forward, and here's what we need to do. We need to pray, and we need to pray for those in authority. I, I think we need to pray that for those who need to be humbled, God will humble them. And I think we should be, pray that he would be gracious and that they would respond and repent. We, we don't need to pray that those who we would like to see humbled wind up like this. I, I think we can pray that God would be merciful and they would respond before it gets to this. I think we need to pray for the Daniels who are around them. And I see Daniels in this situation. I see godly men that are in very high places that didn't seek it, that didn't ask for it, that didn't manipulate, that didn't bribe to get it, that didn't set up their own servers to get it. I see men, I see a man submitted not a perfect man, but a man who's been broken, if you read his story. And every time he gets up, he says, I'm a Christian. And he gives glory to God. And he loves his wife, and he loves his little girl. And when comments were made that were reprehensible and crass and rude and lewd, he did not defend them. And he said, I will not defend those comments. He stood on his ground as a Christian man. Could have cost him. Because the guy he's hanging out with loves to say, you're fired. But it wasn't said. He's still there. So pray for a Daniel who's an influence. Pray that God would be merciful. And perhaps restore freedoms that have been taken away so that the gospel may continue to go around the world from this country. We have unbelievable resources. For the furtherance of the gospel, pray that those freedoms might be restored. That those in other branches of government would be put in place who honor the truth and God's will. You get what I'm saying, don't you? And pray that God would do that for your children and grandchildren. And then lastly, and maybe firstly, I, this, I, I try to pray every morning two things. I try to pray, let not the foot of pride come upon me. Don't let me get arrogant. Don't let me get proud. Don't let me get stupid. I've done that too many times. Don't let me get full of myself. Why would I get full of myself? But sometimes we do. Do not let the foot of pride come over me. In other words, Lord, humble me. Keep me humble. Keep me under the authority. Keep me in your word. And secondly, I pray 
Do not let me wander from thy commandments. Don't let me teach a commandment and disobey it without confessing it. Don't, don't let me carry my Bible and then live like hell at home. Don't let me show up on Sunday with my big Bible with the study notes and my pens and all my markers and all that and then cheat guys Monday through Friday in business. Don't let me do that. Don't let me wander from my commandments. Humble me in my little kingdom, in my little family. Keep me under your authority. Uh, a long time ago, I think in Point Man, I said, you know, a lot of us would be real excited if we had a committed Christian man in the White House. Oh, wouldn't that be great? What I said back then, and I still believe it, I think what's more important is that there be a Christian man in the blue house. And you see, back then I lived in a blue house. Judgment begins with the household of God. Begins with your house and my house. So I want to make sure I'm under the authority of Christ. And when I sin, I deal with it. I don't hide it. I bring it into the darkness. I confess it. Jesus, help me to walk with integrity. Help me to love my wife. Even when she ticks me off. Help me to love her. Help me to live with her in an understanding way. Don't let me frustrate my kids so that they walk away from the faith. If I've hurt them, if I've wounded them, show me. So I can go talk with them and try to repair it and make it right and reconcile. It's just not the White House. It's my house. It's your house. It's for me and my house. We'll serve the Lord. He'll honor that. He'll flat out honor that. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you that you humble proud men, and that's us. Thank you that you frustrate the plans of the wicked. And thank you that you've shown grace to us who don't deserve it. We don't rock in pride. We walk in humility. <laughs> because of what you have done for us. It is just staggering. You came and died for us. We were despicable. And you came and gave your perfect life in exchange for us. You died in our place. Help us to live wisely, carefully, humbly, obediently. We pray for our nation. We're thankful. Thank you that you're steering this ship and every ship on this earth. And one day all these ships are going to line up. And every nation's going to line up. And every person's going to line up. And every knee's going to bow. And confess that Jesus is Lord. In the meantime, let us make sure we confess it. In your name we pray. Amen.